realized in conversations recently with my wife and friends that in my lifetime, I've, I've actually, I'm in my early 60s, and guys, the truth is I've already done pretty much everything I ever wanted to do in life. I've realized that God's let me accomplish or be a part of pretty much everything I ever had a vision for doing, maybe, maybe one or two smaller ones. Way, way back, one of my desires in life was to live in the mountains. And so this had been in the late 70s. Uh, after a couple years of college, I got to do just that. My older brother, Joe, was very gracious, and he invited me and my brother. He said, anytime you guys want to come up, come on up. So I lived in the northwest corner of uh, God's country, the state of Montana, right up next to the Canadian border and Glacier National Park. And I got to do a number of things I'd always wanted to do. I lived in the mountains, hunted and fished with my brother. We had a great time, helped take care of each other work-wise and other things. There was a lovely Saturday fall day when Joe and I were going to go into the mountains up Pinkham Creek Road where we lived, and we were going to hunt grouse. And so we drove his old pickup, and we took his oldest son, Uriah. Now, Uriah, is, he, he couldn't have been more than about three years old. He's a tiny tot, and it's cold enough, too, that we've got coats on, and Uriah's got his winter coat on. And his little hood, you know, his little hood is up, and it's got a point. So if you saw my brother and his son walking through the woods, it looked like a little wood elf with this guy. Very memorable. So, so we go through the mountains. We're on trails. We're off trails. We're hunting grouse. We get a couple birds, and life is good. We're having a great time. Until we realize two things. Uh, we realize that the sun is setting. It's far later in the day than we had thought. And it's embarrassing to say, but we didn't know where we were. We were lost. That wasn't the last time I've been lost in the mountains of the woods. And uh, we've got a little guy with us. And, and we're a long way from our truck. And so, you know, there's the sudden realization. That's one thing. And then there's the slow, sort of creeping, dawning sense of desperation. Because we've got to figure out where we're at. It's going to be cold tonight, quite cold. And we've got to get this little guy out of harm's way. So we sort of quicken our pace a little bit. We've got to find some high ground or something to figure out where we're at. And we're not doing any better. We're quickening the pace to nowhere. We don't know where we're at at all. So we're going over hill and down. And first we think we hear something. Then a little later, no, we know we hear something. And we realize there's a diesel engine out there in the woods someplace. And this was an area in which logging was done. That was my profession when I was in Montana was logging. And it's a Saturday. We don't expect anybody to be out there. But there's a diesel engine running. And it's the end of the day. And we're assuming whoever's working, this is their last haul of the day. That heavy equipment is just used to pull those logs out of the woods and onto the landing zone. So Joe picks up your eye, and I get the gun and the birds, and we start hoofing it. And guys, we're desperate. We know if we don't catch him, we don't know where we're spending the night. We don't know what's going to happen to Master Uriah. So we're up a hill, we're down a hill, we're across the valley. We see the edge of a clear cut. This has got to be it. And sure enough, there he is dragging in the last load of logs for the day. And we run up to him really glad he's there, right? We tell him what our predicament is. And we told him where our truck was. He says, I know exactly where your truck is. And no problem, get in, I'll take you there. So... We go from this desperation to there's hope, to this guy's our hope, and he gets us there. We're to our truck. We're to our home that night. Uriah's none the worse for the wear, and we have a good time and a good story. But 
Think about it in your own life, those times where you, maybe a sudden, maybe a slow, dull uh, realization growing in you, that you realize you're desperate in ways, you have issues in your life, you have challenges, you have trials that you simply don't have the ability to cope with one way or another. What do you do about that? H- how do you cope? Where do you go? To whom do you go for help? We're in the 50th message, believe it or not, in this Heroes and Villains series. And by way of reminder, uh, Rick quoted Galatians 2. Uh, I try and make, uh, be careful every week on this message that we're communicating one thing and not another. Uh, becoming a Christian is a life-transforming event in which someone exists that didn't exist before. And, and the faith is not God making sinners better sinners. It's that he has crucified you and I in Jesus' death on the cross. That's Romans 6, and it's Galatians 2. And it, through new birth in faith in Jesus, he's given us a new life that didn't exist before. So God's work in us as believers is not making us better. It's growing away from the old sinful life that's with us as long as we're in the body. And it's seeing more of the life of Christ that is now mine, my true new self. It's seeing that enlarged and encouraged. And so as we look at these saints of the Old and New Testament, it's to see elements of what does Christ-like faithfulness look like in the lives of others who've gone before us. Because that's what we're encouraging. We're not getting better. That's not what God does. He crucifies the old me. He gives a new me. So that's what we're encouraging. That's where we're going in the series. And this morning, uh, we're looking at a mother who's absolutely desperate. And that's why I love her and I love this story. So the main point this morning, something along this line, God rewards persistent and desperate faith. And I'm going to qualify this later because I want to make sure we're on the same page by what I'm saying on this. But God rewards persistent and desperate faith. And as we get into the story prepare to uh, just query in our own minds, now or in the past, where are those areas in which I need help? I've got needs I can't meet. Uh, I see sin in my life I can't get past. That's a common one for all of us. Uh, But what are those areas where I realize I have a quiet, perhaps, maybe loud desperation, I need help. What do I do with that? Where do I turn? To whom do I turn? What does that look like? Desperation, desperation is a very, very good thing. In fact, what you end up seeing is that God uses our desperation all the time when it brings us to Christ, as is the case with the woman in our story this morning. What we'll see is this, her desperation reveals her faith. In her life, and this will be true in your life and mine too, her desperation leads her to Christ. And the persevering faith she has pleases Christ. And to put this in perspective, sort of big picture again, I finally changed the timeline here. This is the first person we're looking at whose story occurs within the public ministry years of Jesus. So we've been through the birth narratives and the key figures around Jesus' birth, John the Baptist, etc. But we're actually into the public ministry years of Jesus this morning. So between 29 AD and 33 AD, and just for perspective, when you get to about Acts 13, Paul's first missionary journey about 36 A.D., Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed, 70 A.D., that's a good hard fixed number. And then probably the New Testament completed around 95 A.D., that would be the Apostle John and the book of Revelation. 
And geographically, as we read our story, just to give you some sense of spatial placement where we're talking about, map on the left is greater Israel during Roman occupation, and you can see the different colors there break up. The Roman, the Roman uh, governors are ruling the green area, and Herod's descendants are ru ruling the other areas. And then the circled area is the space you see on the right map. And so Jesus is going to leave the area around the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to go up north and west to the coastal area of Tyre and Sidon. And interesting, too, the river you see just above Tyre, that actually would have been the old coastal boundary of Israel back in the day. Tyre actually would have been part of the tribal area of Asher. So Jesus is going to leave Galilee to get away for a vacation with his boys. Uh, I'm going to read from Matthew 15. This is on your study sheet. I'll also bring in a couple of verses from uh, Mark 7. That's a parallel passage of the same story, but it gives us a little bit more detail. So if you use a pew Bible, this is page 821, and I'm going to read from the ESV. So Jesus went away, uh, Matthew 15, 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon there on the coast. Uh, Mark 7, 24 tells us he entered a house and didn't want anyone to know. So you know occasionally in the Gospels you'll see Jesus and the guys, they're going morning to night, they're worn out, and occasionally Jesus gets them aside for a rest, for a break, a little vacay. And that's what he's trying to do here. It says, yet he could not be hidden. <laughs> he's too well known at this point. He could not be hidden. Verse 25 in Mark 7 still. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. And sorry, switching back to Matthew 15. Verse 22 tells us she's a Canaanite woman from that region, and she comes and she's crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Verse 26 says the woman's a Gentile. She's Syrophoenician, and that just means she's actually ethnically Phoenician from along the coast, but she's in the political area that's called Syria at the time. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Verse 23, back in Matthew 15. But he didn't answer her a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away. She's crying out after us. She's bugging us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, well, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, you know, you've got a mom. You've got to put yourself in her position, right? This unnamed mother loves her daughter, and her daughter is oppressed by a demon. Now, the text doesn't tell us in this story what that looked like. Your study sheet uh, references a number of places in the Gospels where it does tell you someone's demonized, and this is what it looked like, and you've got things like they're out of their mind, supernatural strength, they're mute or unable to speak, they're blind, they're harming themselves, they have convulsions, chronic physical infirmity, any or all of that could have been her experience. So we don't know specifically what it looked like, but mom knows this is a demon. And if you've ever had a sick child, and I mean really sick, you know, uh, 
children are defenseless, they don't have our resources, and so as a parent, if you see your child sick, you have large amounts of empathy. You would do anything to help that child. You know, you pray, Lord, I'd say, make me sick, you know, so that they'll be better. Or we'll take on debt. We'll drive them wherever they need to go. We'll see whatever doctor, you know, surgery, pharmaceuticals, whatever it is, what, whatever it is, you know, we'll do it. Just help, help my child. And that's where she's at. She is desperate and she has no resource to meet this need. Now, the story doesn't tell us we don't read too much into silence, but there's no husband or father mentioned. So perhaps she's without even a husband or this little girl may have no father at home. There's no medicine. There's nothing physically anyone can do to help her because it's not a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. And think of this too, where this woman lives. This is the same spiritually dark place from which the worship of Baal was imported to Israel under Ahab and Jezebel 900 years earlier. This is a dark place spiritually. We tend to forget, we'll talk about this a little bit, but um, Rick, in fact, Rick alluded to it. We, we tend to write off the degree to which we live in a world in which there are unseen malevolent forces that want to harm people. And it doesn't matter if you're a nice person or a bad person, or if you're a Christian, or you're not a Christian, they lived in a spiritually dark place, and her daughter's oppressed, and she's got no way out of this, and she is desperate, and here Jesus ends up in her backyard. That's a good thing. So she knows something about Jesus because she calls him Lord, and she calls him Son of David. So that area is not that big. News of Jesus and this miracle-working guy among the Jews, it would have spread. She's heard something, but now she knows he is here in her backyard, and she calls him son of David and Lord, so respect. Son of David's a Jewish term. This is the Jewish Messiah, and that's how she addresses him. So there's already this understanding. She knows something about Jesus, and Jesus is becoming her hope. She's at the end of her rope. She's at the end of her hope. And Jesus has turned up, and this is a good day for her. So she finds Jesus, she falls at his feet, and begs him to heal her daughter. So Christ is the object of her faith. He's the only one who can help. And her daughter's desperate condition has led her to Christ. So that's what we're at so far in the story. Now, guys, you know, uh, we, we are spoiled in the West and in the United States, the time and the place we live, such that uh, sometimes this doesn't come across, but your desire and mine for comfort, for good food, for good health, for blue skies, for green light. On one hand, we say it's kind of shallow thinking, but there's another sense in which it's really a key indicator that we know we were made for something better than we have. And, and we know we were meant to be better than we are. And we face these challenges in life and something inside tells us this shouldn't be this way. That it should be different, it should be better, and I should be better. And that's a good thing because we were made for something better originally, weren't we? And you know what we find in the opening pages of Genesis is that while the world was made perfect originally, it didn't stay that way because of our first parent's sin. And when God said, if you do this, if you go against my will... You'll, that's sin, and you'll die. And they, they certainly didn't know all the repercussions, but that's exactly what happened. So ever since, 
We live in a broken world, and broken people live in a broken world, and sin and death are part of your and my experience here, and there's no way around it as long as we're here. If you're in the body on planet Earth, that's where we're living. And God cursed the earth in Genesis 3. And we bear children, ladies, in pain. And parents raise children in frustration at times. And life is not as it should be, and we know that. We're broken, and the world around us is broken as well. Now, this makes for a lousy experience, right? Life's not what I want. I wish it were better. I wish I were better. But it's a great prod, those needs, those areas of brokenness, those areas that create a sense of desperation in us, those are great prods to drive us to Christ. And so they are invaluable in that sense. They drive us to Christ. God allows crushing defeats, temptations, failures, hurts we feel. In this woman's case, the hurt she felt for her child because he uses them to draw us to himself. You got this verse in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5. The Apostle Paul is going through this challenge and he says, this is what it felt like. We're afflicted on every side. There are conflicts without. We've got troubles outside ourselves. External forces arrayed against us, people and powers. And he says, and we've got fears within. I got troubles outside. I got fears and anxiety inside. And then he says, but God who comforts the depressed comforted us. You know, if you've not been cold, you don't know how good the heat feels. If you, don't, if you haven't had air conditioner on a hot, muggy day, you don't know how good air conditioning feels. But it's the lack that sort of sharpens our appreciation for what God wants to give us. And that's going on with this gal in this story as well. Uh, there's a book called uh, The Green Letters by Miles J. Stanford. Uh, this is a book I still recommend. This was my second Bible uh, I came to faith the year after Rick, 1976. This was my second Bible. And listen to what Stanford says and also quotes about our ability to take in what God wants to give us based on our sense of need or desperation. So he says this, God's basic ingredient for growth, spiritual growth, is need. Without personal needs, we would get nowhere in our Christian life. The reason our Father creates and allows needs in our lives is to turn us from all that is outside of Christ, centering us in Him alone. The soul never imbibes the truth in living power, but as it requires it, needs cause us to reach out and appropriate by faith from our Lord Jesus what we require. He concludes, wisdom and philosophy never found out God he makes himself known to us through our needs. So usually when something comes up, my life gets turned upside down, something falls apart. My first thing is I just want it fixed. I just want it to be the way it's supposed to be. But oftentimes God allows that situation for longer periods of time than I'm comfortable with because he's using it to bring me more fully to himself. And so those, those areas of desperation, of challenge, of failure, whatever it is, temptation, sin, whatever it is, God often allows those to go on for longer than we want because those very needs, that area of desperation is what's compelling us to come to Christ. 
And that's where everything happens. Everything happens in Jesus' presence. So just think again for a moment. Where are my needs? Where am I desperate? What are the challenges I face in my life? That's where Christ meets us, as he did this woman in this story. And I want to give a caveat here, too, just to be careful. In our story, we know the gal comes up. Her need is, my, my daughter is demonized. I need help. And she comes to Jesus, and she begs and she pleads, and Jesus answers, and her prayer is answered, and her daughter's delivered. Now, please understand, I am not saying, no matter how we qualify our faith, or how persistent we are, or how desperate we feel, I am not saying that when I come to God in faith and desperation, he will answer all my prayers the way I want him to. That's what happens in this story. And we're good with this story. I'm good with this story. But this is, this is not what God does with all of our prayer requests. And that, that needs to be okay with us. And, and this is something we want to make sure. A few points on this just for clarity. If demons are troubling you, you have authority in Christ's name and you have the truth of God's word. You have truth. You have the, the shield of faith. You have the armor of God from Ephesians 6. Christians can deal with demons. We have authority over demons. The problem for us more often than not is it's not power encounters that Christians have trouble with with Satan, as was the case here. It's truth issues. And Paul says in 2 Timothy that there are doctrines of demons. You know, you wonder why people believe in false religions, things that to you and I seem nonsense. Why does abortion in this country have the power behind it that it does? Death at all costs, essentially. It's because these are doctrines of demons and they have spiritual power behind them. So we're thinking in this gal, in this story, a, a daughter is oppressed. More often than not, for you and I, it's not some direct oppression by a demon. It's a truth issue that we're struggling with, that the enemy has deceived us in. And... Second, unless the rapture occurs first, you or I are in a slow process of dying. So everyone in this room is going to die unless the rapture occurs first. So guys, sickness, that's just slow death. These bodies are wearing out. Nancy, we know this, don't we? The older we get, hearing, you name it. Uh, this is just death occurring slowly. So... The thought that I'm sick, God's going to heal me in the moment. Guys, you've got a body. It's subject to sin and death still. You've got an old fallen nature. It's still with us until we lose this body behind. So God is not answering every prayer. Do we know that for health, for healing, finances, this, that? He doesn't. He doesn't. And if you're realistic, you already know that. All our desperate requests will not be answered as we'd like. This is the thing, though. And this is important. This is where we need to live. Romans 8.32 says that if God didn't spare his son to save you and me, if he didn't spare Jesus, that which he loved most in the universe, then there's nothing he wouldn't give for you and there's nothing he wouldn't do for you. So when God doesn't answer our prayer the way we want to, it's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because Jesus' death and resurrection isn't adequate to sort of put us in that place of favor. If God doesn't answer our prayer the way we want it, it's because he has a better plan. 
and you got to live there or you'll get really frustrated, that I have to be willing to say to God, as Jesus did, right? <laughs> Pray in faith, right? Faith, faith. I have faith in my faith. That's not biblical faith. I believe that I believe. That's not biblical faith either. You know, Jesus was confronted with a desperate moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, wasn't he? And he tells his father, this is not what I want. And he concludes, though, but not my will, yours be done. Because I know your plan for me is the best plan that could occur. And even if this doesn't look the way I wanted it to in the moment, I'm good, Father, with what you're good with. And that's where we need to live at the end of the day. God can't love us anymore. He's given Christ. If he's given Christ for you, have your sins forgiven and eternal life, then he's not opposed to giving you any lesser gift. And everything else is a lesser gift. Nothing compares to the forgiveness of sin and to become a son and daughter of the Most High God. You know, we've said this before, but if you lived life, and, and again, perspective's everything. Let's say you're born in Nigeria, and you're a Christian in Nigeria, and you, you're born into poverty, you live in poverty, and you're martyred by Islamic extremists. But you're a Christian. You go to heaven. You got joy and pleasure forever. That's a good day. So we want to keep this stuff in perspective that God is committed to using the desperate areas of our life to pull us more fully into Christ's orbit where we get more of him. It's not stuff we're after, it's Christ. You remember John 17, 3, that spiritual life is the relationship we're in with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, by faith, and the Spirit. So that's where we got to live. Everything else, it's small change. And, and we... If we get lost in our desperation, God doesn't answer us the way we want. We forget that. He can't love us more. He gave Christ for us. He's, he's not opposed to giving us any lesser gift. God may not change our challenging situations, but he will change us by drawing closer to him. Now, I want to go back through the text itself because this is where everything is at. Do you ask yourself the question when you read this story? Could you believe Jesus could ever be so rude, so cold, so indifferent, so uncaring? I thought Jesus was love and he was the gentle shepherd and meek and mild. And he's he's downright rude here in this story. And I'm wondering what's going on. Jesus, did you get up? Was this a bad day for you? You want some vacation thinking of Sunday school? Your goal got blocked, Jesus. And so you're treating this woman this way. What in the world is going on? So walk through this again. Look at this in Matthew 15 if you've got it. So she begs. Jesus for help. This is verse 22. She's crying out. She's desperate from the start. She didn't work this up. She starts this way. She's crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter's severely oppressed. Imagine a, a mom going into a doctor's office, her kid's bleeding. It's like, you know, just here, here she is, help. And how does Jesus respond? That says verse 23. Oh, he didn't answer her a word. That's weird. You know, if you approach me in the lobby at, after church and, and I'm walking by and you say, hi, Mike, how are you doing? And, and I just tip my head the other way and keep walking. You're like, man, what's wrong with him? How rude. It is rude. Where's his respect for her humanity made in the image of God? What in the world is going on here? So she keeps begging. Verse 23, his disciples come <laughs> and now they're begging. 
They're begging because she's begging. They're like, please do something about this woman. She's begging. She's bothering us. Send her away, they say. She's crying out after us. And he says, well, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know, honey, it'd be nice if you were Jewish. I could help you, but I can't. You're a Gentile. You're from the wrong people group. Hang around for the second coming, and I'll be glad to help you out, you know, you and your daughter. So she pleads again, third time. And now Jesus refuses again, but this time he does so with an insult. So she comes and she kneels before him and she says, Lord, help me. And I, I confess, as I was reading through Matthew this last year, I, these, uh, this was one of the stories that just was gripping because she is desperate, right? And this is just the down simple, Lord, just help me. <laughs> I don't care what you do. I don't care how you do it. Just help me. She's, she's pathetic, <laughs> frankly. She knows it and she doesn't care. In a former life, when I was a firefighter here in Topeka, uh, we ran a call uh, late evening in a nursing home in East Topeka. Didn't smell good. Wasn't, wasn't probably the best managed facility at the time. Uh, but the resident is in the lobby. The staff are with her, this older lady. And we're checking her out, checking vitals. The ambulance not there, so we're waiting for them because they'll transport her to the hospital. But as we're there, there's the halls that go in both directions. And down this hall, all the residents are in bed. It's 10 o'clock or whatever. Down that hall, behind one of those doors, there's an old man. I never saw him, but I've never forgotten him. And he keeps saying the same thing. He says, somebody help me. And he just says it over and over as long as we were there. It was the, one of the most pathetic things I've ever heard. This is probably 30, 35 years ago. Never forgotten it because it was so pathetic. His need was great and probably not in his right mind, probably not all there, but just this sense of desperation. Somebody please help me. That's what this gal is doing. She's pitiful. She's pathetic because she is desperate. Now, here she is. She's laying it all out. She's, she's on her knees at his feet. And how does Jesus respond this time? Surely a little respect, a little concern. He says, uh, well, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, honey. Now, we don't want to miss this. He's not saying you're a cute pet like my dog at home. Because they had work dogs and they had curs. And he says, honey, you're like one of those mangy dogs out there. You don't deserve this stuff. You know, what I've got, it's for children, and you're like a mangy mutt. Wow. <laughs> is this really Jesus, by the way? <laughs> it is, isn't it? So, insult on top of pain. Um, this woman is beyond pride, though. There's no issue of self-esteem, self-respect. Uh, I've heard stories from women, maybe you're one of these women, a modest woman, right? She's modest, and, but she's pregnant, and she's at the hospital giving birth. And you know what some of these women do? <laughs> they just rip their clothes off. And they don't care who sees what or for how long. All they care about is get this baby out. Well, that's where she's at. She's beyond being offended. You couldn't say anything to offend her. It doesn't matter. There's no pride. There's no I'm saving my self-respect or anything like that. She's at the bottom. She's got no lower place to go. And she says, yes, Lord. 
I'm a cur. You say I'm a cur? Okay, I'm good with that. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus finally responds, Woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So at the end of the day, he does exactly what she asked. And you've got to say, what in the world is going on with this process? What is going on? And this is the deal. And by the way, you'll see this throughout the gospel accounts. Somebody comes up to Jesus and said, Lord, will you do something? And he might say something like, do you believe I can do that? There's a number of these throughout the gospels. And what he's doing is he's testing, he's prodding their expression of faith. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 say this. And remember, Peter, the guy that writes this, was with Jesus when all the miracles happened. He has seen it all. This is after the resurrection and Pete's serving, but he writes to fellow Christians like himself and he says this, Now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. You have areas of your life that are desperate. They're not what you want. They're not what you know they should be. He says, so that for this reason, God allows trials in your life so that the proof of your faith, which is more precious than gold, which is going to perish anyway, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This story is Jesus testing this woman's faith and it shines like gold because it's the real thing. She can't be put off. It's the real thing, and Jesus' testing her shows that. God considers the refinement of our faith to be greater value than our comfort or most of our short-term goals or many of our um, well-intentioned but misled prayers. The mother in our story would not be put off because she really believed Jesus could do what she needed. She believed in Christ and that Christ had the power to do what she needed. There's a verse in Hebrews 11, 6, and, and this was a verse, by the way, that we started with 50 lessons ago, a year and a half ago when we started this series. Hebrews 11:6. 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. That's ESV. The New American Standard says he rewards those who diligently seek him because the thought is they keep seeking their actively seeking him. That's the kind of faith that God promises to reward. She wouldn't be put off because she knows who Jesus is. And so whatever else is going on, my hopes, my desperate hopes are on this person. They're on the person of Jesus Christ. So all the needs we experience on this earth, all the needs except one are temporary. Reconciliation with God is the only need that's eternal that any of us have. Everything else is temporary, it's short term. Forgiveness and eternal life, that's the only thing we can't do without. So guys, no matter how challenging our life may be, no matter how many places or times of desperation we have, we're sons and daughters of the Most High God if we've trusted Christ to save us. We're going to heaven forever, there's joy and pleasure, there's rivers of delight, we've got a great time coming. So whatever occurs on this earth, even if we would write that script differently, God who loves us is doing everything as he knows best so that we're drawn more fully into Christ's orbit and the life that he wants us to have 
in him. The life is always in Christ. That's what God's after for us. Faithfulness, remember the whole thing is, what does the faithfulness of Christ in my life look like? Faithfulness to God starts with faith in God. Can anyone persuade you that Jesus isn't who he said he was or that he's not adequate to save you forever from your sin? Because that's where you've got to start. There's no faithfulness if our faith isn't first and foremost in Christ himself. Everything else is gravy. Remember in John 6, <laughs> John 5, Jesus had fed 5,000 people around the lake, Sea of Galilee. They follow him around the lake when the disciples go to the other side. And Jesus says, you know, John 6, he says, you guys are following me not because there was a miracle, but because you ate. I gave you a happy meal and you're following me like a little puppy follows around the lake. You want another happy meal. Then he does something very intentional. This is not what preachers do today, by the way. He intentionally tests their faith. And so he says to them, well, guys, here's the thing. You've got to eat my flesh. You've got to drink my blood or you get no life. He says this to Jews, by the way. Eat my flesh, cannibalism, that's unclean. Drink anything, eat anything with blood in it, that's unclean. Jesus double dipping and he offends them. And what happens? The text says most of them go away. Because guess what? Because they don't believe in Jesus. They wanted another Happy Meal, but they don't believe in Jesus. So Jesus turns to his boys and says, do you guys want to leave too? This is a test of their faith. And so what's Peter say? This should be your response and mine too. He says, Lord, where would we go? To whom, he says. To whom would we go? See, he's stuck and he knows it. He says, you have words of eternal life. We know. We have come to believe that you're the Holy One of God. So if you confuse us, if you disappoint us, if you put us off, if you test our faith, we're stuck because we know something and we can't be convinced otherwise. You're it. We know who you are. So even if life doesn't go the way I thought it would with you, Jesus, my Savior, I got no place else to go because I believe, because I really believe, because I can't be persuaded Otherwise, that's where God wants us to land. That's where God wants us to live. Desperate is a great place. Desperate's a great place to be when it drives us to Christ. That's the thing, isn't it? Hey, are you in a small group? Rick Barron's in our small group. And so you know what we do? We pray with each other and we pray for each other. And when the bottom falls out of areas of your life, who are you sharing that with when you're desperate who are you telling just so you know somebody else knows and somebody else who knows me, loves me, and cares about me, they're praying with me and they're praying for me because that's part of the way God puts himself in our life. It's through brothers and sisters in the faith and that happens in small groups. I hope you're in one and if you're not, but you'll get in one. And also this, for us as individuals, are we meeting with the Lord daily in the scripture and in prayer? You know, we say read your Bible. I know it's a joke. Mike says read your Bible. I get it. But it's shorthand. As Rick said, the scripture is God's word to us and it's truth. It's a diet you cannot get anyplace else. And so when I meet with the Lord in the morning, he's speaking to me. He's showing me things I won't hear anyplace else. And when I'm praying, I'm not only unloading my own personal cares of the day on him, but I'm talking about other people as well. That 
remember, life is the relationship we're in. And are we living in that relationship? Because if we're not meeting God in his word and prayer, how much of a relationship do we really have at all? You'll have desperate areas of your life you don't need to have simply for failure to be in Christ's arena, to be with him, whether that's home group, your own time in the morning with him in scripture and prayer. Well, let me pray and then we'll, we'll stand and read with the closing text. Father, life is to know you. There's no life really apart from you. Lord, would you meet each of us where we are? For those who don't know you, would you help them to simply cry out in faith for Jesus to save them as this woman cried out in faith to save her daughter? And Lord, for, for us who already know you, would you help us, Lord, to simply live by faith day by day to draw near to you and to give you our troubles and our problems, our desperate areas, and trust you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, let's uh, close by simply reading uh, from Matthew 11 together. Yep, got to stand up, take a deep breath, stretch. Thank you. Let's read. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen.